0: You are listening to the CMC Podcast. Join us each week for messages designed to equip, inspire, and motivate. And now for today's message from student pastor Josh Barnett. Well, I'm excited about uh, wrapping up Galatians tonight with you. If you want to go ahead and open your Bibles to Galatians chapter 6, we're going to be ending uh, this series tonight. And I'm also excited about um, what's coming up. Uh, for our Wednesdays, we're going to be moving into a pretty neat series. Uh, but as we as we get into Galatians, I said this in part one, and I'm going to say it again tonight. Um, <laughs> this should be one of your favorite books, <laughs> just because of the message behind it. It may be one of the most important books that that uh, that that Paul penned. Romans might be the most important, but this one is surely up there. It's one of the first books that Paul wrote. Um, It's crucial to our faith, and it, it, like, it, Galatians is the gospel. It is the good news, and it's so powerful, and I know that we're on the last chapter, and it's, uh, in the last few verses, and it's Paul's final advice, but don't check out tonight. Don't, uh, don't leave. It's like a Marvel movie. Don't leave when the credits start rolling. You know what I mean? Because there might be another scene that you're going to miss out on. You never know what's coming, and so, this is, uh, this is the final scene, and Paul's closing remarks are vital. They're super, super, super important. So let's read uh, verse 11 through 18, and then we will dissect this a little bit and see what he's talking about. Verse 11 says, notice what large letters I use as I write these closing words in my own handwriting. Those who are trying to force you to be circumcised want to look good to others. They don't want to be persecuted for teaching that the cross of Christ alone can save. Even those who advocate circumcision don't keep the whole law themselves. They only want you to be circumcised so they can boast about it and claim you as their disciples. As for me, may I never boast about anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of that cross, my interest in this world has been crucified, and the world's interest in me has also died. It doesn't matter matter whether we have been circumcised or not. What counts is whether we have been transformed into a new creation, May God's peace and mercy be upon all who live by this principle. They are the new people of God. From now on, don't let anyone trouble me with these things, for I bear on my body the scars that show I belong to Jesus. Dear brothers and sisters, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. Verse 11 here in, in some of your Bibles, that may be like in all caps there, and Paul's saying, Notice what large letters I use as I'm writing these closing words in my own handwriting. Now, Paul was probably dictating this letter to a scribe, he was probably having someone write this letter down for him. But but here he takes the pen into his own hand. He wants to authenticate his letter. Um, he, he wants to uh, to show that it's really him, that it's not an impersonator, it's not somebody else that is saying these things or writing these things. Um, and, and many people actually thought that, that Paul might have had a vision problem um, that he couldn't see very well. Um, I don't know if that's true or not. That's just some, some theories out there. Uh, but it's pretty funny because it would have been like this nice, ornate, somebody taking their time and writing, and then you flip the page and it looks like a five-year-old probably wrote it. Like, this is Paul. Like, huge, across. Like, I'm taking the pen from my guy. I'm writing to you now. The reason he's doing this is he's trying to get our attention. Like I said, it's Paul himself, like saying, don't check out here because what I'm about to tell you is super key. As I'm closing this letter down, he's trying to get our attention and he's going to share his core conviction behind writing to the letter. And so he's saying like, don't leave before the credits have rolled. It's like the director coming on screen and saying, this is the most important part. Pay attention to what is happening right here. He's gonna show the, the, the entire motivation behind the Judaizers and the entire motivation behind his life. Now, through this study, we've seen the false teachers, the Judaizers were deceiving the Galatians that they not only, that they can't just believe in Jesus to save them, but they also need to be circumcised and they need to follow parts of the Mosaic law. And Paul has spent most of his letter condemning their teachings. Now he's gonna go after their motives. Now he's gonna go after why are they doing this? And we're gonna see it was never really about being righteous before God, it was about being impressive towards men. That's what we're going to see tonight, that the Judaizers didn't really care about being righteous before God, they cared about being impressive to men. We see it in verse 12. He says, those who are trying to force you to be circumcised want to look good to others. They don't want to be persecuted for, uh, for teaching that the cross of Christ alone can save. So motive number one, Paul, remember Paul's revealing their motives. Motive number one that Paul shows us right here is they had a fear of man. They had a fear of man. So if you're writing that down, that was the motives behind their hearts. Number one, they, want, they wanted to look good to others. They wanted to be impressive. And and tonight, church, we got to know like our lives and our walk with Christ is going to get really deluded if we are worried about looking good to other people. (laughs) When we have a need to impress, when we are worried about what others are thinking about us, what people think about our faith, what people think about our Jesus, being ashamed of the Holy Spirit, we cannot let the fear of man drive our train. We can't let the fear of man drive our lives. There is no room in our relationship with God for a fear of man. Matthew ten thirty three, Jesus says, if you deny me before man, I will deny you before my father in heaven. I would say that silence is denial. Proverbs, Proverbs twenty nine twenty five says, fear of man will prove to be a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is kept safe. See, fear and intimidation holds us back. It's actually, the fear of man is actually a trap with the illusion of safety. That's what he means by a snare. It's a trap with the illusion that you're going to stay safe in that. But he says, put your faith and trust in the Lord. Step out, shine bright. He is the one that's going to keep you safe. Now, I believe the ultimate remedy for the for the fear of man, the ultimate remedy for the need for approval from man is coming into a revelation that you're already approved of. The remedy to the fear of man, the remedy to your need for approval is understanding and coming into the revelation that you are already approved of. You are approved of by God himself. So why do you need approval from anyone else? When we understand how God truly sees us, how he truly loves us, how he is for us and not against us, we will never need the approval of anyone ever again. We cannot compromise to save face. We cannot compromise to look good to anyone, to our coworkers, to that important client, to our families, to strangers. But oftentimes, like we don't, we don't wanna look crazy. We want to appear normal. You've been called out of normal, friends. This is not a normal, like you cannot look normal to the world like this. And, it, and, I, and I feel like it, it kind of drives the American church a lot. It's like we want to be relevant to the culture. We want to look like the world so that they'll be more obs- accepting of us. Where did we get that heresy from? Jesus said the world is going to hate you because it hated me. So we are no longer supposed to be normal. I I would say that if our lives make sense to the world, we might want to question our Christian walk. It shouldn't make sense. Think about what you believe. Think about what you believe about God. You believe that, that, think about it from a worldly, atheistic point of view. You believe that some kind of God, some kind of mystical being Who is who's three people, but he's one person, spoke the world into existence, everything into existence in seven days. He there was a a man and a woman named Adam and Eve in the garden. She ate fruit because she was tempted by a talking snake, and that doomed all of mankind. You're a weirdo. Like, welcome to being weird. I don't know why we, why we want to not sound crazy to the world. That sounds insane if you think about it from a worldly point of view. That sounds crazy. And then, that, and then so that doomed us, but then God sent his son who was God, but it was also, he was God, but he's also man, he was in flesh, and he, he was born to a virgin? That's what you believe, partner? Okay. <laughs> that sounds insane. <laughs> we are not called to sound normal. Oh, it sounds crazy. We, but the fear of man, it's gonna keep you from an abundant life. It's gonna keep you out of a kingdom life. It's gonna keep you from true joy and true peace. There is no freedom in being led by the opinions of man. There is no freedom in being led by the opinions of man. Who cares what the world says? Who cares what the world says? I have found my joy in Jesus. Let them think I'm crazy. Let them think I've lost my mind. Because I have. But I don't need them to look favorably upon me because God does. 1 <laughs> Corinthians one twenty-seven says that God uses the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. He's gonna use the foolish things to shame the wise, or those who think they're wise. You go on in verse 12 and it says they didn't want to be persecuted for the teachings of the cross of Christ. The Judaizers would have been under pressure from other Jews. They, they, they believed that Jesus was the Messiah, but they also wanted to still be accepted by their Jewish brothers and sisters, and they didn't want to be kicked out of the synagogues. They were afraid of being put out. And so these guys kind of began to twist these together. They began to try to tie these two uh, religions together with, with Jesus being the Messiah, but also following uh, the Mosaic law. And so they, they, they twisted these together for a fear of man. They, they, they wanted to keep their reju- reputation. They wanted to keep their status. They, they feared persecution. They feared rejection. So they, they would not preach the, that the cross of Christ saves alone. Now, we've got to understand that the cross is central to our faith, and it's offensive. It's going to offend people. When the cross of Christ is preached rightly, you're going to be persecuted. It's actually a promise. John promised it in John 15, verse 20. Paul promised it in 2 Timothy 3, 12. But we have to know that there's no greater joy than sharing with his sufferings. There's no greater joy than sharing with the sufferings of Jesus. You read Acts and those fools got beat and they were like, they were happy about it. They came back to the house church and like, we got beat because of Jesus. It was amazing. That was their attitude. Like that they got to partake in the sufferings of Jesus. It, like there, there is a grace that comes on you when you're persecuted. There's a grace that comes on to you when you're rejected because of him. In those moments, there's a grace from him that causes you to feel closer to him than any other moment. Matthew five eleven. if you don't believe me, Matthew five eleven says, blessed are those who are persecuted. This doctrine of the, the, the cross of Christ saves alone, it's offensive to our fallen flesh. It's offensive to our pride. It's offensive to people who think they can do it on their own, that they can be righteous on their own. The cross, Paul said in 1 Corinthians one twenty three, that it's a stumbling block to the Jews and to the Gentiles' foolishness, that it was going to uh, cause people to stumble over it. And the, the Judaizers really, like, in essence, they were cowards. This fear of man thing, they, they were cowards. They, they, uh, they wanted to identify with the cross, but they also wanted to identify, they didn't want to identify it to the degree in which it caused them any persecution. They were afraid of being persecuted. They were afraid of being cut off. They were unwilling to pay the high cost that the cross demands. Now, I wanna give you a couple reasons. Why does the cross bring persecution? Why does the cross bring persecution? It brings persecution because it shows us that there is, that there is a necessity of Jesus dying on the cross so that we can be saved from our sins. Why, why is that offensive to us? Well, number one is because it tells us all that we're sinners, Nobody wants to hear that they're messed up. It's offensive. You're messed up. Some of the things that you're doing are sinful against God in heaven. People don't want to hear that. It's offensive. <laughs> the second reason is uh, that, that our sin brings us under a curse. A curse in which Christ bore himself. And the last thing is there's nothing you can do to get you out of it. There's nothing that you can do to earn salvation. If it were possible, then the cross would be unnecessary. Now to us, like we've embraced this. So to us, like we, it's like, okay, well, that's not really, that's not offensive to me. But but if you begin to preach this to people, it becomes offensive because people think that they can do things on their own, that they can work their way out of certain things. And people don't want to give up certain lifestyles. They don't want, to, they don't want a death to be to their old self. But the cross is going to cause persecution because people don't want to come out of that. And people believe that they are God, that they're their own God of their own life. They're going to determine their own destiny. It's offensive. So that's you know, they do not want to be persecuted for it. So that was, you know, they were letting the fear of man drive the train. You go to verse 13 and this says, and even those who advocate circumcision don't keep the whole law themselves. They only want you to be circumcised so they can boast about it and claim you as their disciples. Their second motive was pride. First one, fear of man. Second one, pride. <laughs> Paul points out here that they want you to be circumcised, but they don't even keep the whole law. Like he points out like right away, these dudes are hypocrites, they want, you to do, they want you to follow laws that they're not even following themselves. They're acting like something they're not. They're acting like they're able to keep the whole law and demanding you do so as well. How prideful is that? That they're putting on this show, they're putting on this picture of what they're not. That's why Jesus called them whitewashed tombs. You look good on the outside, but I know what's on the inside. And Jesus knew what they were doing in secret. But they were expecting other people to live out this standard, that's that's prideful. That's so haughty. It's so haughty for us to like act like we've got it all figured out That when we put on a show to impress people. And, it, and it, again, it's, it's, it's very cowardly. I'm, uh, uh, I love this quote here by John MacArthur. I don't like most of what he says, but I like what he says here. He says, hypocrisy is inseparable from cowardice because if a person were not afraid of what other people might say or do, he would have no reason for pretending to be something he is not. Wow. Hypocrisy is inseparable from cowardice because if a person were not afraid of what other people might say or do, he would have no reason for pretending to be something he is not. So they had this pride thing where they were trying to look better than they actually were. They, they were physically circumcised, but being physically circumcised gives you no power to overcome the powerful lust of the flesh. So just because they caught off a piece of their skin, it actually, it was not empowering them to actually obey the law. Um, They were clearly not interested in the spiritual state of the Galatians. They just, they wanted to gather up more followers. They were not concerned about the welfare of believers or the glory of God. They were just concerned about their own safety and reputation. Paul was also warning them in this verse that that, uh, the Judaizers were just using them. They only want you to be circumcised so they can boast about it so that they can claim you are their disciples. The Judaizers wanted the Gentile believers to be circumcised simply so they could boast. Boast about adding to their numbers, boast about how many they were influencing. They wanted a bigger show. They wanted a bigger following. They didn't really care about circumcision. They cared about how many people were following them. They were in it for themselves. And if they could get a lot of followers, then maybe the Jews in Jerusalem would cheer them on, would give them a pat on the back, would tell them how amazing they were. Man, don't we see this in the church today? So many ministries today are just counting people. How many are coming? How many are watching? How many are being baptized? I'm not saying those numbers are bad, but those numbers should not be the focus. And we definitely shouldn't boast about those numbers. I'm all for lots of people getting baptized, but for a church to say, "Look how many people we're baptizing," how arrogant! is that when it's like, it'll just show, like we've got to know what the motives are. When our motives are off, like look at our church, look at our ministry, look how many people we reach, look how many people we baptize, look how many people are coming. It can be very haughty and prideful. It's not about drawing people to our church or our ministry. It's about pointing people to Jesus. The church is amazing, but our church can also be an idol. We're not worshiping the church. We worship him. We are the church, but many churches make idols out of buildings, billboards, bands, baptisms, and butts and seats. You like that alliteration there? Yeah. <laughs> buildings, billboards, bands, baptism, butts, and seats. We, like. Listen, I'm all for connect groups. I'm all for small groups unless they become an idol. Like so many churches, like we're going to have community. And it becomes all about community and like, there's no Jesus there. We're going to have fellowship, brother. We're going to eat lots of food together. But is Jesus there? Is it about him? Are we building each other up in the faith? Or are we just getting together to, you know, whatever? Is Jesus being glorified in all that we do? (laughs) None of these things are bad, but they cannot be the focus. Jesus is the focus. (laughs) I am not a big fan of, if you have one, I'm sorry. God bless you. It's okay. I am not a fan of t-shirts and bumper stickers that say, I love my church. You can have them, just know it makes me gag a little bit. (laughs) I love Christian Ministries Church, but Christian Ministries Church is not the end all. It's Jesus. It's about getting people to him. I love Jesus t-shirt would be much more appropriate. The church is not a building. The church is a bride. The church is a body. We, Christian Ministries Church, we're a local gathering for believers to come and be discipled and worship Jesus, not talk about how awesome we are. (laughs) And we are not in competition with any other churches. It's not our church against their church. You should pray for churches as you drive by them. You should rejoice when you meet people that go to other churches. <laughs> we're all on the same team. We're not just a part of a local body. We're part of a global body. We're all on the same team. And unless they're preaching something other than Christ, like we're for them. We're for other churches. As a youth pastor here, I meet teens all the time. When I ask them like, where do they go to church? Like I go here. Do you go, to, do you go to that youth group? I don't try to entice them to get them to come to mind. I tell them to get plugged into theirs, to pour their life out for theirs. I'm not really interested in sheep changing pastures. Jesus seemed a lot more interested in finding the one that left the 99. Oof, that went over like a ton of bricks. That's probably how he felt in the room too when he said that, okay. <laughs> we just, we enter into some weird sinful territory when we glory in ourselves. When we glory in our own strength. It's not, it's not about church. It's about the king and his kingdom. And yes, the church is part of his plan here on earth, but we don't worship the church. We worship Jesus. And we may not be pushing <laughs> we may not be pushing circumcision anymore. Thank the Lord. But Paul is warning us about boasting in our own works at all. Make sure that we are <laughs> we are not announcing everything Make sure we are not announcing everything that God is doing and we are the ones making it happen. Matthew, It's Matthew 6, man. It's like Matthew 6, 1 through 8. Like when you pray, pray like this. When you give, give like this. When you serve, serve like this. When you fast, fast like this. How? In secret. Don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. In secret. But how often do we, man, we're doing something and... I got to post that, man. And... You know, I'm not anti-churches posting about like what they're doing, but it's sometimes a little, it can be a little odd. Like what's, we got to see what, what is our motive? What's our motive? We can't be like Pharisees who boast and brag about our holiness. Churches and ministries can easily slip into religious works, can easily slip into bragging about the, I think we're supposed to follow Jesus' examples. Like several times, like Jesus did in crazy, like crazy, incredible, miraculous things. And then what would he tell people after he healed them? Don't tell anybody. It's easy for us. Like we, something happens, we do something. And it's like we want to stand on stage and shout it. Is that what Jesus wants us to do? Jesus wasn't trying to draw a crowd, but sometimes the American church seems hell-bent on, on doing that. Man, I'm sorry. Some of you are all looking at me like, you're like piercing holes in my soul right now. It's okay. <laughs> in John 7, Jesus' brothers come to him. They try to get him to go set up shop. They try to get him to, hey, man, leave this Galilee area because there's not a lot going on here. You would be better if you set up your ministry in Jerusalem because there's lots of people there. And Jesus basically tells him to get out of his face. <laughs> Jesus' he, Jesus's biggest ministry moment happens in John chapter 6 where he feeds the 5,000, which would have been 5,000 men, so probably about twenty five or 30,000 people and counting women and children, everybody that wasn't of man age yet. Um, he, he feeds them, and then he runs away from them, and they find him, and he looks at them, And he says, if you don't eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no part with me. He who has ears, let him hear. See ya. That's what he did. And like, are you, you, we know what he's talking about because we get the rest of the story. But he just told 30,000 people with no context at all, if you don't eat my flesh and drink my blood, you cannot be a part of me. And then he runs, he runs off and they're like, what? what, like that's like the right, like that's kind of the right way to respond. It's like, what are you talking about? Do you really want us to eat you? You really want us to drink your blood? Like you sound crazy. And so many people were leaving that Jesus looks at his own disciples and says, are you gonna leave me too? And I think he would have been okay with it. Why? Because he had his father. He wasn't worried about the rejection. (laughs) That's that right there, that's leadership 101. That story is leadership 101. When you draw the crowd, you don't compromise the message. You don't brag about how many came or how many you're influencing. Jesus telling his disciples how to serve in Matthew chapter 20, verses 25 to 28, says, Jesus called them to himself and said, you know the rulers of the Gentiles, Lord, over them, and those who... Who, <clears throat> who are great exercise authority over them, yet it shall not be so among you. But whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. Whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Luke fifteen seven. I tell you in the same way, there'll be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than the other 99 righteous people who do not need to repent. Jesus is much more interested in quality than he is quantity. You think about, think about the ministry of Jesus. Spent three years doing what he did, all the miracles. John says if you, you, there's not enough books in the world to contain everything that he did in his short three-year ministry. He spent all that ministry. He rose again from the dead. He revealed himself for 40 days to people. Showed, he, he spoke to a crowd of 500 people risen from the dead to get 120 people in an upper room. Just 120? Where was the 30,000? 500 saw him resurrected and you only got a third of those in the upper room? It's wild to me. Is it really, that's where we gotta look at our motives and say, is it really about the cross or is it about entertaining the 99? We go to verse 14. Wow, I have five minutes left. I'm blaming Courtney. (laughs) I'm kidding, it was amazing. Verse 14, we see Paul, he shifts gears here. He shows us his central motive and his central conviction. Verse 14, as for me, may I never boast about anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of that cross, my interest in this world has been crucified and the world's interest in me has also died. There's only one thing that we can boast in. It's the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. This has to be our central motivation, our central conviction, the cross of Christ. He, Paul isn't boasting in his own righteousness. He's doing the exact opposite. In 1 Timothy 1.15, he says, Jesus came in the world to save sinners of whom I'm the worst. Paul would not have been the worst, but that is how he saw himself as I was the worst that needed saving. But if you look in, in Philippians chapter three, he says, if anyone else has a reason to put confidence in the flesh, I do because I was circumcised on the eighth day. <laughs> I was, a, I was of the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. In regard to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, I was faultless. If anybody had a right to brag on their flesh, it was Paul. And then he goes to Timothy and says, of sinners, I am the worst. He was only boasting in the righteousness of Christ. Jesus came into the world and do what we could not do, there was no way we were going to work our way into his presence, so he came to us and made it possible. Because of that, our interest in the world has got to be crucified, and the world's interest in us must also die. If we are truly crucified with him, we now no longer have any interest in a worldly system doing things the world's way to get a world's reward. And the worldly system will no longer be interested in us Jesus is the one who made us righteous. Nothing we could do on our own could ever achieve what he achieved on the cross. Our good works are as filthy rags compared to his. We consider everything as lost for the sake of him. We forsake all things for him. Oh, that we may know him in his sufferings. Oh, that we may be in him and resurrected with him. Ask yourself tonight, what have I boasted in? What have I boasted in? Our education, our job, our gifts, our abilities, our wisdom, our good works. Man, I was just reading yesterday Proverbs chapter three and Holy Spirit rocked me. Because I'm like, like I, I, I'm a type of personality that's like I always want to be right. Like I, I get prideful and haughty because I want to know the most in the room. Because that's just, I'm being vulnerable. So don't, <laughs> but that's just, that's what I, I just want to know things. I want to know things and I want to know everything and I want to be, and I want to know more than you know about it. <laughs> and, if I, and, I'm, I, and I'm so prideful. If I don't know anything about it, I, I just shut up and keep my mouth shut. I won't even dare to sound wrong. That's just how I am, is how, is how my brain is wired. And in Proverbs 3, the Holy, the Holy Spirit highlighted to me, is like, don't see yourself wise in your own eyes. And it rocked me. And I've been praying about it for three days. Don't see yourself wise in your own eyes. Lean not on your own understanding. I've boasted in my wisdom. I've boasted in my knowledge. And I have no business boasting in my wisdom. We have no business glorying in what we do for him, but on only what he did for us. There is only one thing worth boasting of and it is the cross of Jesus. I know we're out of time, but just jot these down if you you would like to. Go back and listen to it and jot them down. The cross of Christ shows us three things how incredible the love of God is, how dreadful our sin is and how valuable he sees us. That's what the cross of Christ does. The cross was central to Paul and it has to be central to our faith. And in 1 Corinthians two, he says, when I came and spoke to you, I forgot everything except the cross of Christ. I forgot everything but Christ and him crucified. Wasn't trying to come up with a fancy message. Wasn't trying to come up with a five point sermon. I forgot everything and just preached that, that Jesus was crucified. He purposed to know nothing except Christ and him crucified. And looking at that, man, I like, I don't, there's so much freedom in that because I don't have to be a talented preacher. And I see so many pastors across the nation, man. There's pastors committing suicide because they're trying to be like, whoever, whoever they look up to. And it's so sad. There's so much freedom in this right here that I don't have to boast about my gifts or my abilities. I don't have to try to be approved by anybody or be liked by anybody. It's just Jesus. I just have to preach him crucified. May I know nothing. May I only boast in his cross. May I always keep the cross at the center of my message. Verse 15, he says, it doesn't matter whether we've been circumcised or not. What counts is whether we have been transformed into a new creation. So circumcision, uncircumcision, Paul said, it doesn't matter. New creation is what matters. And that's not measured from the outside, that's measured on the inside. See, the the Judaizers, they were trying to shape people on the outside in hopes that it would get to the inside. Jesus came after the inside because if he gets the inside, it shapes the outside. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, the new has come. What counts is new creation. Works don't count. It's our identity as a new creation that Jesus made possible is what counts. What counts is we've been transformed, we've been made new through faith in Jesus, not circumcision, not works. True spirituality isn't imposed from without. It bubbles up and overflows from within. Verse 16, may God's peace and mercy be upon all who live by this principle. They are the new people of God. God wants to transform us from the inside out. We put our faith in him. We are born again. He washes us clean. He gives us the righteousness of Jesus. And then he sees us fit to fill us with his Holy Spirit. And it's his Holy Spirit in us that changes us. He changes our motives, our attitudes, our thoughts, our emotions, our minds. And he empowers us to walk just like Jesus. It's the Holy Spirit. It's not me. It's not my own strength. It's him. It's him. And all of this comes from the place of approval. See, your life has to be, like, your life has to live from that identity of I'm approved, I'm loved no matter what. And when you get from that place, so, but we flip it so oftentimes, like, we feel like we have to work for approval. You're never going to be good enough. You are approved of. Period. Period. You put your faith in Jesus. You believe that he's the son of God that died on the cross and rose again three days later. You're saved, buddy. You're approved of. And there's nothing that you can do to change that. And when you get th- when that revelation hits you in the deep place of who you are and you realize I'm approved and nothing can separate me from the love of God, you begin to change. The Holy Spirit begins to sanctify you <laughs> and you don't have to work to earn it. Man, Colossians 2 Verse 10 through 11 says, In Christ you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. In him you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole, your whole self ruled by the flesh was put off when you were circumcised by Christ. Deuteronomy 10, 16. Old Testament, Deuteronomy ten sixteen, God tells the people, you better circumcise your hearts because that's what matters. <laughs> Jesus is our circumcision. When we put our faith in him, we are in him and he bears the marks for us. We are marked on the inside. And that's where Paul goes to verse 17 and 18. He says, from now on, don't let anyone trouble me with these things. It's so fun. it's funny that he says that. He's like telling them, from now on, like, you guys quit that. Like, stop and don't mess with me anymore. It's like he's getting onto his kids. And then he's like, just, just stay in that room and stop bringing trouble over here to me. I thought it was funny. Anyway, I just I try to hear his tone when I read these things, but maybe just me. Um, he says, "For I bear on my body the scars that show I belong to Jesus." Dear brothers and sisters, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. The word marks the word marks that Paul uses here about the marks on his body. He uses those that, that, that term there meant like a slave branded for ownership the marks that he has received for preaching the cross of Christ. He's literally talking about marks on his body, how he's been beaten, how he's been bruised, how he was stoned. He was stoned one time. They thought he was dead. They left him outside of the city. Dude gets back up and goes back into the city. What a crazy man. (laughs) But he's showing like, I'm not doing this for me. I have no more fear of man. I'm going to preach it no matter what it costs me. He's showing with his marks that it's not in it for himself. He's showing I don't need circumcision to get approval from God or man. I've been beaten and stoned because I live as a new creation. We share in his sufferings. It's <laughs> and it's not us that's being beaten; it's Christ in us. When you get rejected by people, they're not rejecting you. It's, don't make it about you. They're rejecting him. That's a good point, Josh. And he's drawing a contrast between the marks of Jesus and the marks of Moses. Circumcision was a mark of Moses and speaks of servitude through a legal system. The marks of our Lord Jesus are those of glad, free, voluntary, self-sacrificing service. Paul's, as we end, Paul's letter to the Galatians boldly declares the freedom of the Christian. I'm sure early believers and Galatia wanted to grow in their walk with Jesus, but they were being led astray by Judaizers that were mixing the law with following Jesus. How strange it would be for a prisoner to be freed only to walk into another prison and refuse to leave. How strange it would be for an animal to be freed from a trap only to go back inside. How sad for a Christian to be set free from the bondage of sin only to become a slave to legalism. We have been set free. Instead of going into another form of slavery, let us use our freedom to live for Jesus and serve him as he desires. Theologian John Phillips rightly remarks about Galatians. The letter not only was aimed at silencing the Judaizers, but also was designed to define once and for all just exactly what Christianity really is. Y'all stand with me. I know. I know. I know. I made some of you mad tonight. It's okay. (laughs) Go home and pray about it. You'll find out that I'm, I'm kidding. I'm bragging. See, I'm already bragging about my wisdom and I, whatever. Like it's, yeah, it's gross. Get off of me. (laughs) Let's pray. (laughs) Lord, we love you. We love you, Jesus. We love you, Lord. God, help us to keep your cross, the center of our lives, your crucifixion and your resurrection, the center of our message the center of the message that our lives preach everywhere that we go. Lord, give us courage and boldness that we may not be ashamed of you, that we may not fear man, that we may not fear rejection. God, let us come into a place where we fear you, Lord. You said don't fear man who can only kill the body. Fear the one who can throw the soul into hell. Help us to walk in a, fear, a, a, a healthy awe and wonder fear of you, Lord, and how amazing and incredible you are and how much you love us, Lord. God, we thank you for our church. We thank you for this body. But Lord, show us the places that we need to repent sometimes where we make it about us or we make it about our connect groups or we make it about our small group or we make it about our, our, our ministries or we make it about whatever. We, 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 we begin to use those things for our own glory. We begin to use those things to feel good about ourselves. Lord, let us use those things to point people to you. Let the motive of all those things be about you, Jesus. Let everything that our church does be about bringing glory and honor to you. Lord, let us verbalize that with our mouths. Let us give us the, the boldness and the courage to say that with our mouths. Don't let us get into a, a competition with other churches and where we're trying to draw people from other places. God, let us, let us build up the entire body of Christ. The entire local body of Christ. Lord, I lift up every church in the village right now. I lift up every church in this area right now. In the North Hot Springs area, God. This, this, this community that we live in. I lift up every church. God, I ask that, I ask that you would encourage their pastors right now that you would lift up the hearts of their pastors and their elders, Lord, that those pastors and elders would look to you, that they would make you the focus of their ministry, God. Lord, that our churches wouldn't live in competition with one another, that it wouldn't be about how many people we have coming, Lord, but it would be about reaching the families and the schools and the community with you, Lord. Give us the heart that leaves the 99 to find the one, to show people your goodness and your love, God. Don't let us get caught up in our own religious do-good attitudes. But let us be willing to look like fools for you and bear the marks of persecution. We love you, Jesus. It's all about you and what you did for us. Lord, forgive us for ever making it about us and what we do for you. We look to you tonight. God, we thank you for Paul's letter to, to the Galatians. God, may it sharpen us. May it show us where we slip into legalism or where we slip into lawlessness. God, teach us how to walk in holiness. Empower us to walk in holiness. Empower us to walk in a way that is pleasing to you, God. That's what it's all about. It's not about doing things to earn your affection. It's about that because we have your affection, we want to live in a way that is pleasing to you, God. So convict our hearts. Let us have that heart of David that says, search me, O God, and find those places in my heart that offend you. I want to root out anything in my life that offends you, Jesus, because I love you. And I want to walk the path that you have for my life. We thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Have a great night. Have a great week.